Hey y'all, this is Sam. This is Steven. And welcome to Crimeology. This is episode three. So again, like always, we want to thank you for your support. Thank you for coming back and listening to us. Um, if you have not followed us, follow us on social medias. We're on everything at Crimeology Pod. And like always, if you have crime suggestions, you can email us at crimeologypod at gmail.com. Um, we've gotten so much love from you guys about past episodes and we've got so many ideas. I think we've got up to episode 10 already idea wise. And every day we're coming up with different ideas, different websites that give us different ideas. So if you have an idea, go ahead and email us. We'll add it to the list and we'll get that started. So we're just going to jump right into episode three and we're going to get it started. This is about the Sauter children disappearance. Now this is a case that I heard of, I can't remember where I heard it from. And I wouldn't say this is like the first ever case that I kind of ever heard of, but I, it's one of them. So I'm not close. I wouldn't say I'm close to this case in that regard, but this is a case that definitely, I guess, has stuck with me, if I can say that. But anyway, so I'm super excited about this one. So we're going to get started. In 1945, the Sauter family lived in Fayetteville, West Virginia. The family was husband and wife, George and Jenny Sauter, and they had 10 children in total. That's a lot. At the time of the crime, one son was in the army, so he wasn't there during this time. Um, But on Christmas Eve in 1945, the family lost their home to a fire. George and Jenny made it out of the house along with four of their nine children. John, who was 23, George Jr., who was 16, Marin, who was 17, and baby Sylvia, who was only two. The children who didn't make it out were Maurice, who was 14, Martha, who was 12, Louis, who was 9, and Ginny, who was 8, and then Betty, who was 5. When George got out of the house, obviously noticing that five of his children didn't make it out, he tried to rush back into the house and rush upstairs and tried to help the children out. I tried to look for a layout of the house. Because it says that he tried to run upstairs, but upstairs the fire was just too bad and it had engulfed the staircase. So he wasn't able to make it up the stairs. I didn't know if the children who had gotten out, maybe they lived on the first floor and everybody else lived on the second floor. But there's another, we'll talk about another part where the mom talks about living upstairs. So then it's just the question of if you live upstairs, why wouldn't you check all the children's rooms before you run downstairs? So that was just for the first thing that kind of catches my eye is the fact that if you stayed upstairs and you lived upstairs, why wouldn't you check all of the kids? Yeah, rooms? just yeah, just run by and, and grab your kids. And I felt like that was a big detail that we should know but I mean the fact that I couldn't find any article about it or any kind of layout of the house was just odd but maybe I don't know maybe they didn't think about it I don't know so anyways when George couldn't get up the staircase he tried he decided to go outside and use a ladder to get into the second story window but for some reason the ladder he always had in a specific location it wasn't there and he couldn't find it oh of course oh, right 
So then his next option is to pull up his truck next up it gets to the house and just climb on top of the truck and then get into the window. But again, mysteriously, something goes wrong and his trucks just won't start that morning, even though he went to work the day before. So it's just these things that are like anything that could go wrong has gone wrong. It almost seems like when you said mysteriously, there was giant quotation marks on in mysteriously. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty weird that it's just one thing after the other. Right. Wasn't working. Right. After George tries all of this, one of his daughters, Maurice, runs to a neighbor's house and has them call the fire station to send someone out, but no one answers at the fire station. Another neighbor on the completely other side of the house saw the fire from their house and tried to call also, but didn't get an answer. Now, this neighbor went above and beyond. They actually go into town to look for the fire chief, F.J. Morris, and they find him and they tell him about the fire and he's like, okay, I'm coming. He doesn't end up coming till seven hours later when the fire station is about two and a half miles away. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably not the best response time. That's and... not even like a an oops. That's oops. like... Oh yeah, we forgot about that giant fire that's blazing down the road. Right. So something, again, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It has gone wrong so far. At this point, obviously, the house is gone, so they start looking through the ashes of the house, but they didn't find any human remains. When this is said, the fire chief said that the fire could have just cremated the bodies and the bones, and then that's why they couldn't find anything. Some said, I just don't think this could have happened because they said it didn't smell like human flesh. Now, I've never smelt human flesh, but I would like to think that's something that if you smelt it, you knew exactly what that would be, or you would have an idea of what that would be. So if you're sitting there not smelling something weird that you've never smelled before, that's probably not a good... Yeah, that's kind of a a, a, a red flag, right? Right. There, of like, something is it, not adding up right, right already. This also sent me on a deep dive on what happens to a body during a cremation, it was actually very knowledgeable, but... Oh, that's 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 a scary thought now. It was a fun deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> I found out that there are parts of the skeleton that just don't burn. So what they do with these parts is they rake them out and kind of put them into a machine that then grinds the ashes and the bones into ash and then adds it to the rest of the remains. So they don't burn by themselves. So this idea that... Maybe, you know, the fire chief saying, oh, the fire cremated the body. That just, I mean, it's proven that that just doesn't work. That there had to be something left over if they were to burn. Jenny, the mom of the family, she also became interested in cremations. She even, she took a step further than I did. She actually started to burn all kinds of human, uh, animal bones to see if, there would be any remains. She then even went to go talk to someone who does cremations. And they mentioned that they could burn a body for two hours at 2000 degrees. And they'll still have pieces that will not burn. That's that's pretty crazy to think about that. Right. But, I mean, it makes sense because there's 
there is more some you know some bones that are more dense than others mm-hmm. i think that's a thing you know right science was never a good subject for me <laughs> <Right. so. laughs> something that also should have been a dead giveaway is that a lot of the household items weren't burnt and they were still in the house and you could still tell exactly what it was so that also wouldn't have been an option if the bodies were cremated you wouldn't have been able to tell what those household items were so that's kind of another thing that sets that off the rails it also took the house 45 minutes to burn and not two hours so if it takes a body two hours at 2000 degrees now i don't know what an average house fire goes towards but this house only took 45 minutes and not two hours so that's another kind of thing that maybe that wasn't so correct in the first place well and you also got to think about back then like there's not all these safety measures like you know insulation's a lot more flammable back then right and a lot of other stuff so i mean maybe in today's terms it could have taken it an hour and a half or you know something like that right just right After looking into the fire further, it said that the fire was started by some bad wiring, but this was weird for George because he had the wires checked earlier that fall. This was coming from the coroner's office that the fire was started by wires and because it came from their office directly, nobody really questioned it or kind of looked for additional details, obviously, except for the family. So that was just kind of where it left. Um, And because of that, George ended up taking some dirt from another location and he added that dirt to the foundation of the house and ended up making a monument for the children that he had lost. So we're going to talk about George for a second. These details are going to seem like they're kind of coming out of nowhere, but they'll come back later in our story. So I, but I just want to get them out there now. He came from Italy And he's a very vocal individual and he lets you know what he liked and what he didn't like. And he made it known that he did not like the prime minister at the time and he let everybody know. I couldn't find exactly what he was saying, but as I can guess, it wasn't the greatest. Um, George never talked about why he left Italy in the first place, which leads some to think he has something shady going on. So, of course, when a crime happens, I feel like the family is the first people that's looked at as suspects. But just George being the person that he is, he's looked at as the first subjects that may even to go as far as that the mafia from Italy came and did this to his family because he's talking about about the prime minister. I mean, ideas are everywhere because George is George and that's how he is. Now I'm going to talk about some things that happened leading up to the fire that are just a little suspicious. Just a little bit. Just a little. So one day a life and save life insurance salesman he comes to the house trying to do his job and sell what he sells when he realized that he wasn't going to be making a sale at this house he got very angry and started yelling at george that his house was going to go up in smoke and his children would be destroyed and that he would pay for the comments he made about the prime minister that's like again (laughs) 
hello, we caught the guy. You, we know exactly who it is. There's no reason to continue on, but I don't know why nobody else thought the same thing. So it's kind of weird. Well, and like, why wouldn't, I mean, and of course, if, you know, there's probably, there's obviously not quite the police work as there right. was now, but like, wouldn't you like kind of figure out like who this guy is? Right. I and mean, like at least ask him about something. You would question him at least. Yeah, at minimum. Apparently not. So, well. Something after this happened, the older children, they noticed a man on the side of the street just sitting there and watching the younger children when they were coming home from school one day. It's not, they never noticed. They never found out who that man was. But I think they, I think the family just kind of assumed it was that same life insurance salesman. The night of the fire, there was a phone call that came to the house. And when Jenny got up to answer it, she noticed that the downstairs light was on. So at the beginning of the story, I talked about the layout of the house. And this is where I come back to because it says that Jenny said she saw the lights were on downstairs. So that's where I I get that from. I didn't want to leave that hanging because it says Jenny obviously stayed upstairs or maybe her you know, I mean, something could have Their happened. room was, or she was checking something. Right, or... something could have happened. But the fact that she's upstairs and she doesn't check on her kids upstairs, it's just a big question mark for me. But anyways, getting back into it. I'm guessing she went down and turned off the lights, but it doesn't really, it, again, it doesn't go into detail about that, that either. But when she hangs up the phone call and she goes back to bed, She then hears a loud bang on the roof, and then it sounds like something is sliding down the roof. So I I know you've got a good story about this. (laughs) So Stephen and I's friend group, we just took a trip to Branson for New Year's, and we had a situation, I wouldn't say just like this, but the roof incident. So me and your sister-in-law were staying in the same room, and in the middle of the night, she wakes me up and she says, Sam, do you hear that? And I'm like, no, I don't hear anything. And then it happens. It sounds like a bear is trying to come in through the roof. So like normal humans, we then call Steven and make Steven come up to our room to save us. That's so I tell that story to say anybody. I mean, Lorsa woke me up to say, hey, do you hear this? We then called you to say, hey, do you hear this? So that's what a normal person does. A normal person will invite others to listen in on the critter that is trying to get in. Jenny doesn't. Jenny hears this thing falling off the roof. She just goes back to bed. She doesn't say anything to anybody. So, again, I mean, let's be real. That's kind of what I did with y'all. I would just uh, show my light. Didn't hear anything. Right. Assumed I scared it away. Right. And then I left. See ya. I mean, and so maybe, I mean, maybe she just heard it roll off and then she's like, okay, whatever that was, it's gone. Um, I don't got to worry. Yeah. But I don't know. If Jenny really did see the lights on downstairs before the fire, then that means it couldn't have been because of the wires. Because if the wires were to blame, then the lights wouldn't have been on. So the lights wouldn't have been working. The family also said when the fire was actually going, that the lights of the house were on. Again, if that is the case, then wires wouldn't have been to blame, which 
then puts the coroner's office kind of in a what happened situation. Yeah, yeah no, that's yeah, that's kind of a weird spot for them because that's it's weird that lights are working, but everyone says they weren't. Right. So it's once again things don't add up. Right. <laughs> Witnesses to the fire say they saw a man walking away from the house with a block and tackle which is used to remo- remove engines from cars. Again, going back to the beginning of the story, when he tries to pull up the truck next to the house and they don't work, this is a good example uh, or reason for why the trucks didn't work. But when I, the question of, did they check the cars to see if they still had engines in them? Again, couldn't find any answer. So that was just another thing that I was like, I feel like that's something that should have been answered, but I don't see an answer for it. So maybe it was never questioned, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just a better detective than they are. We're we're better private investigators (laughs) than what these 1940s people were. Right. Also, if you're seeing someone walk away with a block and tackle like that's not, I mean, you can swing it over your shoulder, but that's not something you're casually walking around yeah. with. So why don't you say something especially ahead of time? Especially in the middle of the night. Right. Like something's something's a little fishy. Right. If, uh, you know. Right. <laughs> a lot of things that are fishy in this story. That's why I think it stuck with me so much is just because there's so many like, wait, what? And you're there's like a, there's a lot of twists and turns yeah. and different ways that it actually could go. Yeah. I mentioned that George, he ended up making the foundation of the house into a memorial for the children. One day when the family went back to the memorial, their youngest daughter, she found a hard rubber object object that looked to be what is called a pineapple bomb. So if you've never seen a pineapple bomb, it, I mean, it really does look like a pineapple. So it's the center of it. And then it's got these little metal parts that come out just like a pineapple leaf so just imagine a pineapple and it literally looks the same way this is just lying there so when george sees it he thinks it's a pineapple bomb and that could be the thing that jenny heard in the middle of the night that rolled down maybe it was a homemade bomb that just didn't work and so then i mean again obviously we don't know but maybe if when the person threw the bomb and it didn't work, maybe their next option was just to set the house on fire. I mean, if you're just trying to get rid of somebody, that's probably the best way just to let the get end it in. That would explain the light right. that she saw. Someone trying to use a flashlight or yeah. some whatever type of, of light. to right. way, And then they could mess with the wires. Right. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about some people that came forward with information about the missing kids after the fire was done. One woman said she saw the children in the back of a, in the back seat of a car driving away from the fire when the house was burning down. So that's one lady 50 miles away from the house. A woman who was working at a tourist stop said she fed the children breakfast the next morning after the fire. She said the only odd thing that she noticed from that day was that there was a car at the shop with a Florida license plate around the same time. So she couldn't put the children with this car, but she said that was the only odd thing she noticed from that day. It's at least a very, maybe a dotted line connection to it. Right. But yeah, so that's that's kind of wild that 
I mean, I'm sure, well, I mean, obviously all kids look different, but I mean, like, and yeah. news, news travels a lot slower back then, too, so you're not right. going to hear about this fire, and then, oh, yeah, there's missing kids. People aren't going to be looking for, right? because they assume that either they were in the fire, yeah. and they've already died, or... I didn't think about the fact that, I mean, again, not kids all look the same, but... <laughs> kids kind of look the same so how how did you know oh yeah those were these kids like i didn't think about that unless it was just a oh yeah there were some kids that were eating breakfast here. right they ate breakfast this morning a receptionist at a hotel in charleston said she saw the children with two women and two men who were all italian she said she tried to talk to the kids but one of the men kind of yelled at the kids and she felt like she was being shut out and after this man yelled the kids and the women just kind of hushed, turned their eyes away from her. She doesn't remember the date she saw them, but she did say they checked in later at night and then they ended up checking out early, early the next morning. And that's all she remembers. So writing off these, what are the last three that we've talked about, literally those could all be boom, 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 all right. together. All, because yeah. literally you could have, if one of them, had got the kids from the house mm-hmm. and then they traveled you know they're 50 miles down the road yep they ate breakfast got the florida driving. because if you're going from west virginia to florida you're gonna stop and at least head right down that way to, to charleston and like you could easily i mean especially if you check in because if you're driving from west virginia to south carolina right that's a heck of a trick yeah and so that only makes sense to me of like at least linking all these stories right. together of they went from the, the breakfast place at the shop mm-hmm. because maybe the tire got burned a little bit during the fire uh-huh there you maybe. go maybe i don't know i'm right. just spitballing there um and then i mean you, then you go to i mean if you eat breakfast right. you would check in late mm-hmm. in south carolina and then you would that makes sense. Out that makes sense. Charleston early in the morning. But that's all people that came forward with information, or I'll say information that led somewhere, or that people kind of took to be actual information. Something that happened, and I'll mention this about George, really because I like to play devil's advocate. I know a lot of cases, I mean, every case that happens, people immediately look at the family. I will say that George, at one point, he was just looking through the newspaper and he ended up seeing a picture of some school children in New York. He thought one of them looked exactly like Betty, who is one of his children who was missing. He goes to extremes of traveling to New York to investigate and see if this really is Betty. He ends up tracking the kid down and he reaches out to the parents but the parents refused to talk to him. So he that never led anywhere. But I just want to, I like to tell those stories to make it seem like the parents, you know, the parents trying. Right. <laughs> so, and it's, and I mean, really, that makes sense for who he, whatever the parents of right. that girl that he thought was her. Like, I'm not going to have some strange dude come up and try to talk to her. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you said, playing devil's advocate, you could really you could see that both ways. You can yeah. if they're trying to hide it. Oh no, sorry, I can't talk to you. Right? Or if they're being for real, like no, no you're crazy. You come, yeah, why are you coming all the way over? Right. 
from West Virginia. Two years after the fire, George and Jenny, they tried to get the FBI involved, but the FBI has to go through the city's fire and police team. And when the FBI reached out to both the police and fire, they both denied needing their help, which I guess I was naive and I didn't know that. I didn't know first off that the FBI needed anybody's permission to do anything. Um, I don't think they need anybody's permission, but I think they have to at least get somewhat of, if it's, I mean, if it's a major thing, right. I'm sure they can just, uh, yep, this is our case now. Right. But maybe something like this is, they kind of have to. I guess if, you know, you do have parents who think injustice is being done. So that's, I, that's probably, you right. know, but the only reasons I can think of that FBI is saying no is that, or that the police is saying no, is that either they're trying to hide something or they just don't want to do all of the paperwork that is involved. I mean, obviously, if it took you seven hours to get to a fire that was two miles away. Yeah, that's going to take them about seven years right? to get that paperwork I think done. you've got bigger problems to worry about. But when the FBI wasn't allowed to help the police... The family ended up hiring a private investigator who was C.C. Tinsley. As soon as he was hired, he noticed that something special happened to the case on the jury. So when digging into the jury, he found out that one of the people on the jury was the same life insurance salesman from the beginning of our story. Ding, ding, ding. Hello, we have solved it for you, FBI <laughs> right. and, and West Virginia, where Fayetteville, West Virginia Police Department. We've solved it for so you. So this jury is put together to decide if the fire was an accident or not, and it the jury said yes, that the fire was an accident. But you have, I mean, who put this jury together? <laughs> who says... Yeah. Apparently that fire chief. Right. Another thing that you're just like, what? Another thing that was going around that Tinsley found out was that the fire chief was going around saying that he found a heart in the fire and that he buried it at the monument that George made. So when Tinsley hears this, that's his first place he goes to is he's like, hey, show me where this heart is so that we can send that off to figure out what it is. Like, hello, that's a big piece of information. He finally convinces the fire chief to bring him out there and show him where he's buried. When they unbury it, they found out it's just beef liver. And not even that, it had never been in the fire. So again, when Tinsley's like, okay, so what the heck is going on? The fire chief, he ended up saying that he did it to try to give the family some kind of closure. That's a pretty, really, that's an egregious step to, right. like, oh, yeah, I found this heart. And, like, you would think that that would have been consumed up in the fire, right? I mean, if you're, if you, the fact that you're going from, oh, no, their bodies were cremated to, I have a heart. What? But I buried it. <laughs> right? What? So just a lot of, huh, moments. I'm not sure when this happened, but the family also hired a pathologist to look at the dirt around the house to see if they could find anything. They ended up finding four shards of human vertebrae, and they ended up sending it to the Smithsonian to investigate this. The Smithsonian came back and said 
that these shards were from somebody who was about 16 to 17 years old. But the oldest child they lost in the fire was only 14. So doesn't add up. Now, the only thing that they could think of was the fact that George took the dirt and put it onto the memorial and that this these shards were just happened to be somebody else who was lost or murdered or whatever and their remains just happened to be in the dirt that George used for the memorial. They ended up giving George the shards back but no one knows where they are now and that sucks for this case because technology is so much more advanced now that we might have possibly known something if we still had those shards but nobody knows where they are so that's kind of just a lost cause yeah it's pretty that's very unfortunate really because with what they can do now with technology i mean it's right just, it's night and day compared to back what it was in the in 1945 right right so i'm also not sure when this happened but i believe it was after the shards were discovered that Oki Patterson, who was a West Virginia governor at the time, he called a hearing to say that the case was closed and that their family search was hopeless. So this was just kind of the kind frosting of, of the cake of this case. Final nail in the coffin. Yeah, to be like, wow, like you got a governor to say, stop searching, your case is useless. Like yeah. it was just wild. The parents still didn't give up. They ended up setting up a billboard of the kids that were missing. And I have a picture of the billboard. This is a shameless plug. We'll post it on our Facebook page. And we post it on, on all of our social medias. But go ahead and you can actually see the physical picture on our social medias. But I'll read what the billboard says. So at the top of the billboard, it says, after 30 years, it is not too late to investigate. And then it's got the pictures of the children that were missing. It says, on Christmas Eve, 1945, our home was set afire and five of our children, ages 5 through 14, were kidnapped. The officials blamed detective defective wiring, although lights were still burning after the fire started. The official report stated that the children died in the fire. However, no bones were found in the residue, and there was no smell of burning flesh during or after the fire. What was the motive of the law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer all of these years of injustice? Why did they lie and force us to accept those lies? So, the family's not giving up. They posted that billboard. And I don't know if it's still there today, but I figured it was since it's been there for so long. But you can still find pictures of it online, so it's still doing its job. I mean, I'm guessing that probably that exact one's not there because you said that's uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. So that was in 1975. So that's, what, 40, right. 40 years ago? Yeah. Something like that. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some out there still, but yeah, I'm sure they're probably kind of few and far between. The only thing that came after all of this happened was in 1968, Jenny, the mother, received a photo of a boy who looked to be about in his 20s. And she thought it looked to be Lewis, who was nine at the time of the fire and was one of the missing 
There was no return address from the photo, but it was postmarked in Kentucky. After this, when the family, they hired a private investigator. And this is another like what moment? They hired a private investigator to go to Kentucky to search for this guy. They never heard from the detective again. Okay, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, this sounds like another episode that we could do. Right. <laughs> I mean, just instantly right there. Right. But, yeah, that's that's really weird that it's just like, oh, yeah, go to Kentucky and then... Never hear from him again. Like, gone. A detective gone missing. Like, so that's just another layer of what? So, George passed away in 1969 and Jenny passed not long after in 1989. Today, Sylvia, who was two at the time of the fire, is the only living solder today, and she stands firm in believing that her siblings did not die in the fire that night. Before we jump into our Florida main minute, we're going to take some time to talk about our sponsor for this episode. And now we're going to start with our Florida main minute. This is a segment that we have started where we Google a random date along with the words Florida Man Minute. And Stephen has had a fantastic time looking at these. And so he keeps it a secret from me until... So I'm listening right along with you. So let's get started. This one, Sam, this one, you know, I thought last week was pretty good. I'm pretty excited. But this one might... This this might be the best one we've got so far. (laughs) So Sam... Have you ever played golf before? I've never played golf. Okay. Have you ever seen zombies before? Love zombies. Okay. But have you seen them? Not personally. Okay. Well, this guy down here in Florida uh, by the name of Jesse Webb, apparently he has. <laughs> um, so it's it's the infamous golf course chase. You know, we always love to hear those those very great, you know, very right. specific, love awesome. Love to hear it. Um, but we never get to, we actually never get to see it. Right? Right. But this one we did. I'll, we'll we'll link it in the in the episode description so you guys can take a take a look at it too. Um, so this story comes to us from the February fifteenth of twenty nineteen. So two years ago. So twenty uh, nine year old Jesse Webb was behind the wheel of a stolen community watch vehicle. Uh, kind of think of what they've got at Walmart, kind of patrolling the parking lot. Just to put that in your okay. head. Um, so he, uh, which he commandeered quote-unquote commandeered from the neighborhood supervisor and the reason that he did that oh it's a good one uh the supervisor reported that webb was shouting people were eating my brains out wow (laughs) so yeah just take a second to chew on that one so after he uh after he commandeered the vehicle (laughs) um he had cut through several backyards before he decided to hit the Orange Hills golf course. Wow. Uh, so two, two officers started to, to chase him as, uh, as, as Webb weaved in and out of, of golf carts and players and, uh, you know, all the sand traps along yeah. the way. Uh, so, you know, thankfully, so no one was hurt. Um, but Webb, uh, he did actually, after, eventually he was arrested. After, of course, he crashed the stolen car right. into a, what would you like to guess? What do you think that he crashed this into? What building? Oh, a building? Yeah. What type of building? I don't know. A, the side of a nursing home. Aw, of course. <laughs> the cherry on top of this the story. The cherry on top of this. So, um, 
so yeah so he so he was eventually arrested um however the zombies that were chasing him yeah uh yeah they have not been captured yet <laughs> Sad. They're so, still out there. so they're still out there so if you're down there uh, in florida be on the lookout for those zombies that were chasing after this guy <laughs> um they'll get you they'll get you oh, i'm just man. i'm just very sad that someone did not yell four <laughs> right as he was driving through. through the golf course oh man what that a, was good what a great one that would have been <laughs> that's good but yes, i love this segment they keep getting better and better and better i love it <laughs> so that was episode three like i said this episode is just one that i guess you could say has stuck with me just because it's had a lot of moments that i've questioned it and been like excuse me what and so we don't know what happened to the children um we may never know what happened to the children but it's just a fun story it's a fun story to bring up at dinner parties and see what other people think. So it's been a fun you, episode. You go to some weird dinner parties. Uh, listen, that's all. The only dinner parties I go to are weird ones. <laughs> but thank you again so much for listening. Like we've mentioned, we post um, our material links to our Facebook page. Every episode has a post that will link our where we get our information from. So we'll link all of that information to our Facebook page. And then we post on all of our other social media sites when the episodes go live. Um, and then we post pictures on different variations of social medias. If you're whatever platform you're listening to, make sure you get give us a review, leave us a rating. Five stars, that's what we want. That's five out best. of five best because that's what we are so give us a review follow us send us emails of what you want to listen to if we do too much of a certain kind of crime let us know any feedback is good feedback so we want to know what you want to hear um but thank you guys just for continuing to listen to us we are continuing to have a blast um and so we just hope that you keep coming back So thank you so much. My name is Sam. I'm Steven. And this is Crimeology.